Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. So glad you're with us this morning. Uh, we are continuing in a series, a teaching series called With Joy from Prison, and we're actually uh, walking through the book of Philippians. We've been doing this actually for about eight weeks, and uh, uh, so I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible accessible, to make sure that you've got that ready, because we're going to be uh, walking through a bit of text uh, this morning. Um, before I read this morning's text, I want to give you a little bit of a backstory uh, to uh, what we're going to be reading. Uh, this is, uh, Philippians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Philippi uh, about 2,000 years ago, and the Apostle Paul, as it turns out, had a really good relationship with this church. Actually, he helped to plant this church. Uh, this church had been supporting him all along during his ministry. Uh, and as you read through the letter, you get this idea that Paul deeply cares about this church community. Uh, but now, years later, the Apostle Paul is under house arrest in Rome for preaching the gospel, uh, which means he's chained to the floor. He cannot leave. Uh, there are guards outside the door guarding him. Uh, he's very isolated, so he gets visitors once in a while. Uh, he doesn't have a whole lot of supplies. Uh, and as it turns out, he's also awaiting to be tried by Caesar's court. So in other words, there's a very good chance that he could actually die for his faith. A very real possibility. Now, as I was preparing this week, I thought to myself, I asked this question, what could the Apostle Paul possibly have to say to us that is relevant? I mean, he's trapped in a house. He's short on supplies. He feels isolated and alone. He's facing imminent death. In other words, he doesn't know what's outside the door lurking there. Is there anything that Paul might say to us that we can actually relate to? Now, of course, I'm being a little bit sarcastic because, of course, there is. There's a ton that Paul can say to us, I, I think, in the here and now. So I, I'm looking forward, actually, this week to diving into the text because I think Paul has a lot to say to us this week. So uh, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3 and starting at uh, verse 12. And I'm just going to read, and you can follow along in uh, whatever Bible you have accessible to you there. And here's what Paul writes. He says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but... I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Well, this is the word of the Lord. 
can, you, can you pray with me? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word that it's living and it's active. Thank you that even though it's thousands of years old, it's still relevant to us today. And God, we pray that as, as we dive into the word today, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would stir something up in our hearts, that you would stir up encouragement, that you would fan into flame gifts, that you would, uh, uh, in, in many ways, give us the words to speak to those around us. God, we pray that as we read the word today, you would convict us, you would encourage us, you would light a fire in our hearts. Do whatever work you need to do, God. And we, we just want to just humbly open our hearts to you and say, uh, God, we, we need you in this moment. So we invite you to teach us and lead us by your spirit. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, so if, 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 there's, if there's any encouragement, if there's, there's one takeaway that I, that I just want us to take away from the text this morning, and I, and I hope that you'll receive, it's just simply this. Press on. Press on. So don't quit. Don't give up. Don't fall back. Don't turn back. Press on. On. As a matter of fact, if you read the text, Paul says that twice in the text. He says, I press on. So, and think about it. I mean, Paul's isolated. Uh, he's alone. He can't leave his house. His world is turned upside down. He doesn't know what the future holds. And yet his heart says this. It says, I will press on. So that's what I want us to talk about this morning. I want to talk about pressing on. And, and, and the way I want to frame this conversation with you this morning is by asking three questions of the text. First of all, here's the first question. What is pressing on? Number two, what are we pressing toward? And number three, how can we press on? So let's start with the first question. The first question is this. Uh, what is pressing on? Well, for Paul, pressing on very simply meant knowing Christ, knowing Christ Jesus. Uh, in fact, today's passage, if you read it, you actually have to read it in light of what Paul has just written. It's actually a continuation of what Paul's been talking about in verses 1 through 11. So what, this is what I looked at a couple of weeks ago. And, and in that text, Paul talks about the greatest treasure in all the world, the greatest treasure you could ever imagine, and that greatest treasure is knowing Christ. In fact, Paul would say it is worth more than anything you can ever imagine. It is worth of surpassing worth knowing Christ. Uh, more than all the money in Bill Gates' bank account, all the diamonds in Africa, all the oil in the Middle East, more than a million followers on Instagram, more than a thousand trips around the world, nothing, he says, compares to knowing Christ Jesus. But here in the text, Paul says this. He says, I still have so far to go in knowing who Christ is. I mean, and imagine that. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul, Right? I mean, this is, this is the, if there's anybody who's a man of faith and anybody who's a man of God, it's the Apostle Paul. And here he is, he's at the end of his journey, he's, he's, he's facing imminent death, and he says, I still have so far to go in knowing Christ Jesus. He says, I, I, I ain't perfect. I haven't made it my own. I'm still growing in my knowledge of Christ. I'm, I'm still building my relationship with Jesus. So in all of this, the Apostle Paul actually uses the imagery of running a race to describe what it means to know Christ. And, and he'll say, you know what, there's a finish line, uh, there's a road behind him, there's a road before him, there's a road underneath of his feet. And Paul is still running this race. Even though he's locked away in this house, he still sees himself as running a race. And interestingly enough, he's not the only one. He actually will say that you're running a race, and I'm a running a race. Anyone who's a follower of Jesus is in this race with the Apostle Paul. Because notice what he says. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. So he's saying that if you're a growing disciple, if you're moving on towards maturity, you need to see your life in this way. You are in a race. You are running a race right now, even in your home. And, and Paul then talks about three postures in this race. Okay, first of all, he talks about forgetting what is behind, and then he talks about straining forward to what's ahead. 
And then he talks about holding true to what you've already attained. So, you see, the thing is, when you're running in a race, you have to forget what's behind you. Any runner knows that, right? You can't pay attention. You can't look back at what's behind you. You always have to stay focused straight ahead. And for Paul, what he's talking about here is when he's talking about forgetting what's behind him, he's talking about his old way of life in Judaism. His old way of life of, of what would be called performance-based righteousness. Paul was, was trying to earn his way into God's favor by good behavior. And I, and I think he's not alone in that. I think many of us struggle with this, thinking we have to earn God's favor in some ways. Paul discovered, though, in his life in Judaism that he could never measure up at the end of the day. The the one thing he discovered about the law, the law is good, certainly the law is good, but the law doesn't help you become righteous. It just exposes your sin. Uh, So righteousness actually can't be obtained through good works. Righteousness can't be obtained uh, through the law. Uh, It'd be like trying to swim up Niagara Falls, or or it'd be like trying to pole vault over uh, Lake Superior. Uh, Performance-based righteousness, as it turns out, just doesn't work. You you can't come to know God that way. You need to forget it, Paul's saying, and you need to put it behind you. But Paul also says that you actually have to live true to what you have already attained. Now, what's Paul talking about here? What was it that Paul had attained? Well, at this point in his journey, Paul had attained God's grace. You see, Paul discovered that God did something for Paul that Paul could not do for himself. Christ sacrificed himself for the sins of the world. He paid the death penalty for our rebellion and failure. And so when we we turn from our sins and we turn towards Christ, we receive God's free gift of salvation. We receive God's grace. So we get forgiveness. We get a new life. But more importantly, we get to enter into a relationship with the living God. We can actually come to know Christ Jesus personally. And that's what Paul's talking about here. This is what he had attained. Um, I, wonder, I wonder if you could think about it this way. There is a difference between your union with Christ and your communion with Christ. See, your, your union with Christ is about your, this supernatural and spiritual unity that you have with Christ. Christ is in you. You are in Christ. You have this union. And, and this union happens and it begins when you first surrender your life to Christ and you receive him by faith into your life and you trust him for your salvation. This union takes place. But, but your communion with Christ describes your ongoing, growing relationship with him. So it's when you, you, you learn to hear his voice and, and you respond with faithfulness or you begin to read his word and discover more about him or, or you start to pray and, and you start to speak to God knowing that he hears you and, and also you learn to hear his voice and have him speak into your life. So, so you know him more, you love him more, you enter into this deeper relationship with him. That's your communion with Christ. Well, here's the thing. You need to have a union with Christ before you can begin your communion with Christ. And this is what Paul means when he says this in verse 12. Here's what he says. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So Paul's saying, I I have union with Christ. Christ has made me his own, but I'm working on my communion with Christ. I'm pressing on to make it my own. So, So pressing on means, first of all, forgetting what's behind us. So in other words, abandoning all attempts at performance-based righteousness. But pressing on also means holding true to what we've already attained. It means resting in the union that we have in Christ Jesus. But finally, Paul says that uh, pressing on means straining forward to what's ahead. So what does he mean by that? Well, that gets us to our second question, and here's what it is. What are we pressing toward? Toward, number two. 
You see, the thing about uh, the race that we're running, our spiritual race in our lives, is, is it's like any other race. Every race that you ever run has one thing in common. It has a finish line. It has an ultimate goal that you're trying to attain. So that's the question, is what's our finish line? What is it that we're ultimately pressing towards? Well, let's, let's look at verse 14. It gives us a bit of a clue of what Paul's talking about here. Paul says this. He says that the goal is the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So what, so what is that? I mean, what's this upward call that Paul is talking about this? Well, again, to answer this, we really just need to look at the context of what's going on here. We need to look at what's before it, verse 1 to 11. We need to look at the end of what Paul's talking about here. And I think it becomes really clear that what Paul's talking about here is fully knowing Christ Jesus. That this is the prize of the upward call. Um, and let me show you what I mean. Let, let's, I'm going to back up the bus into the previous section that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. And I just want to read for you verses 10 to 11. And here's what Paul says. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So, so what's Paul talking about here? Well, he, he's actually talking about the day, this one day in his very distant future, where he will know Christ perfectly and completely. He's talking about the resurrection of the dead. So, so he's talking about when Jesus comes back, right? In that time when Jesus comes back and we are transformed in, in new resurrected bodies, we will then be able to know Christ fully, completely. See, right now in, in this life that we're in, because of our bodies and because uh, of, of the way that the universe and the cosmos is set up, uh, we can't know Christ fully. There are limitations, there are constraints on our ability to know God. But one day, those constraints will all be removed and we will be able to know Christ fully, perfectly, completely. You know, the Apostle Paul actually writes about this in another letter. He wrote a, church to, a letter to the church in Corinth. And in that famous love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, near the end, he actually talks about this future, this great and future hope of knowing Christ. And let me just look at the text, uh, verse 9. Here's what it says. <clears throat> Paul says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, what's he talking about here? He's talking actually about the, the new creation, the resurrection. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, when I was a child, I, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I had been fully known. So what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, hey, there is a day when we will know Christ fully just as we are fully known by him. And you've got to think about that. I mean, how well does Jesus know you, right? Jesus knows everything about you. There is, there is nothing in your life that is hidden from Jesus. He knows your thoughts. He knows your future. He knows your past. He knows your behaviors. Nothing in your life is hidden from Jesus. Um, but right now in this life, our knowledge of Jesus is pretty limited. There's, there's, there's a, it's like a smoke screen. Paul says it's like we're looking at Jesus through a foggy bathroom mirror. I mean, many of you, you got up this morning and you looked at yourself through a foggy bathroom mirror, right? And you couldn't really see yourself. Some of you are thankful that that mirror was foggy uh, because you just don't want to see yourself without your shirt, okay? But uh, the point Paul is making is this. He's just saying that one day, it's like the mirror will be wiped clean. As a matter of fact, it'll be even better than that. It's like we'll be looking at Jesus face to face. We will know him fully, even as we are fully known. And so, so this is the finish line. This is, this is what Paul says he's straining towards. 
And here's the thing. If you're going to press on in a race, you have to get really, really clear about what that finish line actually is. You actually have to know what it is that you're actually straining towards. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes we, we get the finish line wrong. Um, uh, if you go online and you Google it, you will find some pretty epic sports fails in marathon running and in track and field of people who got the finish line all wrong and they therefore didn't re- uh, finish the race. Uh, I was... I was um, I was looking at this marathon in China that happened a couple of years ago. And uh, the lead runner who was running the marathon uh, was a Kenyan man. And uh, he was 300 meters away from the finish line. And uh, because he was at the front of the race, he was following this guide car that kind of gave him directions on where he needed to run. He was following it. And just at the last 300 meters, the guide car decided to not go through the finish line, but to turn off onto the side and veer off down another path. Well, he kept following the guide car. He went all the way off into, into like the boonies. And then he realized, oh man, I'm going to the wrong place. So fortunately, he was that far ahead that he actually ran back and he won the race. But the guy who was driving the guide car, he lost his, uh, his credentials for about two years. He could never help in a marathon for, for, for a significant, actually it was, it was one year. Anyway, it's important. It's important that we know where the finish line is, isn't it? So this is why I want to take a moment this morning. And I, and I want us to help us get really, really crystal clear about our finish line. Because um, here's the thing. There is a big misunderstanding in the church, in Christianity, about what the actual finish line is. See, there are, there are some of us who might think that the finish line is simply getting to heaven when you die. So you maybe heard the popular phrase, this earth is not my home, but heaven is my home. You've maybe heard that. As a matter of fact, I think there are some Christian pop songs and even some Christian mugs that have that logo on it, Okay. The problem with this idea is it's actually not what the Bible teaches. For Paul, heaven is not the finish line. For Paul, the resurrection was the finish line. So let me show you what I mean. I want to jump down to the end of the text that we read this morning, verse 20 and verse, and verse 21. Here's what Paul says. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So when you read that text, you have to ask the question, okay, what's the finish line that Paul is pressing us towards? Well, in this text, it would say that it's the resurrection when Jesus actually transforms our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. That's what the resurrection is. And I think it's really important to pay attention to the imagery here. I don't know if you caught it, but here's the imagery. It's not about us going up to heaven to be with Christ. Rather, it's about Christ coming down to earth to be with us. So you might be asking, well, what does it mean then when Paul says our citizenship in heaven? I mean, doesn't that that mean that heaven is our home? Well, um, that's actually not where we're supposed to end up. It actually actually means quite the opposite. And let me give you a bit of history here. It's important to understand. Um, Paul's writing to believers in Philippi, right? And the thing about Philippi, the city of Philippi, is that it's a Roman colony, and Caesar Augustus, you know, it would have been 100 years before this, hundreds of years before this, he conquered Philippi. It wasn't always a Roman colony, but he conquered it. And after he had conquered it, he took all of his veteran soldiers and he 
made them live in Philippi. He didn't want a whole bunch of lazy, bored veteran soldiers coming back to Rome. So he, so he put them in Philippi. Um, and these veterans, every single one of them would have been Roman citizens. Not everybody in Rome had this title. It was a special title with special privileges. But these Roman soldiers were Roman citizens. So Caesar essentially sent Roman citizens to colonize Philippi. And he did this so that ultimately he could, he could uh, control and lead Philippi from afar by having a bunch of his Roman citizens somewhere else, okay? The point that Paul is making, and the Philippians would have got this, okay? The point he's making is this. One day Jesus will return. And through a great act of power, he will transform us, the citizens of heaven, to be completely like him. And we, the citizens of heaven, will colonize the earth with Christ Jesus as our conquering king. Now, you might be wondering at this point, okay, another question is, okay, but what about heaven now, right? I mean, what, what, what actually happens to me now when I die? And that's a really important question. Um, well, here's the thing, is, is if you have union with Christ in this life, you will have union with Christ in the life to come. And, and the Bible says that after you die, you will go to be with Christ. So this is a different dimension. It's a different reality. I mean, we're talking about categories that our brains can't even get themselves around, okay, at this point. But it's what it, theologians will call the intermediate heaven. So Paul actually said earlier, we read this in Philippians a number of weeks ago. He says, I want to die and be with Christ, which is better by far. So when we die, we go to be with Christ as believers in Christ. Uh, in, in another text, uh, criminal on the cross, Jesus said to the criminal on the cross, he says, you know, today you'll be with me in paradise. Uh, what was a paradise? Paradise was just a beautiful garden. So it's, 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 it's a beautiful place. Uh, Jesus also told his disciples, he says, you know, I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. Okay, so, so there is a spot for you in this, this intermediate heaven that's coming. But the New Testament, I mean, this is really important, okay, this is all about this finish line that we're talking about, is really clear that this, new, this heaven is an intermediate state. In other words, it's not a permanent lodging. It's, it's more like a temporary stay at a very luxurious hotel with the best company ever because Jesus is actually going to be there. And that's the best part about heaven. But it's temporary. Heaven is not our home. As it turns out, earth is our home. And let me just unpack this a little bit further this morning because it's so important, again, to understand this finish line. You see, in Revelation 20, it tells us this. It says that one day, uh, Jesus Christ will return to the earth. And when Christ returns to the earth, the dead will rise. Okay, so everybody will rise up from the dead. Everybody will be resurrected. Even those who are in paradise, okay, will come and they will be resurrected. And we'll all stand before what's called the judgment seat of Christ. And as we stand before the judgment of the seat of Christ, books will be opened and all of the stuff in our lives will be exposed for what it is. You know, everything we've said, everything we've done, everything we've ever thought, you know, all of those things will be laid bare. And then Christ Jesus will judge everyone. And he'll judge everyone with fairness because he's a fair judge. And he'll judge everyone with goodness because he's a good judge. And he'll judge everyone with righteousness because he's a righteous judge. And we want that, right? We want a judge who's going to be fair and good and righteous. We don't want somebody who's uh, making deals with certain people over here or somebody who's going to not be honest over there. We want a fair judge. And Christ Jesus will do that. He'll be the most fair judge because he knows us fully. And so as Christ judges the earth, um, those who have union with Christ will go on to eternal resurrected life. But those who don't have union with Christ, it says, will, will be destroyed in the lake of fire. 
because their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. And it's terrible when you think about it and when you consider this. Um, But it's also wonderful when you consider this, if you're a believer in Christ. But then it says, after that, after that, Jesus will fix everything. It says that he will create a new heaven and he'll create a new earth. And so I want us to just look at what, what happens after that in, in, in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. Here's what it says. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I mean, that text is just brilliant, brilliant. Every single time I read it. But I want you to notice something here in the final story, okay? And it's something we've already talked about before. We do not go up to heaven to be with God. Instead, heaven comes down to earth and God dwells with us. So, so our great and future hope is grounded, grounded in a new heaven and a new earth. It is grounded in physical and tangible resurrected bodies Our hope is not just in life after death. Our hope is in life after life after death. And the final chapter of God's story, I mean, we're in the third chapter. The fourth chapter is yet to come. But this final chapter of God's story is good. And it's right. And it's beautiful. Jesus is going to come and fix everything. We're going to live in a world without wars, without death or dying or pain or crying, a world without hunger or scarcity, or loneliness, a world without COVID-19, a world without economic collapse. Jesus will come and fix the world. But not only that, it says that Jesus will come and he'll fix us. So, so he's going to give us new resurrected bodies that are just like Christ's resurrected body. They'll be imperishable and immortal. It, it'll be glorious and, and powerful. So we won't get sick and die. We won't have the same limitations that we have in our current bodies. But most of all, they will be sinless, which I I am so looking forward to. I mean, there will be no more struggles. There will be no more regrets. We will just do the good that we actually want to do. Imagine that. Imagine that. And we will walk, friends, and we'll run. And we'll explore and we'll climb and we'll paint and we'll sing and there will be fist bumps and there'll be high fives and backflips and we will eat and we will drink and we will dance and we will hug without any fear. This is the new heaven and this is the new earth because our future is grounded in this great and future hope. But most importantly is that we'll live in a world where God dwells with us. So we will know him fully, even as we are fully known. There'll be no more foggy mirror. The barrier will be taken down. God will be very, very near, face-to-face knowing. And so Paul is saying all this, and I appreciate you listening to all of this. This is the finish line. 
This is ultimately what we're pressing on towards. This is the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, you know what, like a runner, I'm booking it. I'm making my way towards that finish line. I'm straining towards what is ahead with everything I've got. I'm making my way to that end. So here's the final question. How do we do that? How do we press on? Well, Paul says this. He says in the text, we need to strain forward to what lies ahead. Well, what does it mean to strain forward? Well, here's what I, how I would explain it. Straining needs to be, means to be so focused on the finish line that it actually pulls you along into your future hope. See, here's the thing about being a follower of Jesus. Followers of Jesus are supposed to be future-oriented people. We are people of the now, but we're also people of the not yet, and we're looking forward to the not yet. So our hearts and minds as followers of Jesus, as much as we live in the present, our hearts and minds also live in the future. And when we do that, when we live in the future, in this future hope, it pulls us along. Um, In my adult life, I've run a few half marathons. Um, I'm not a great long-distance runner. You've probably heard me say before, my body is not designed for long-distance running. My body is more designed for smashing things, okay? It's just the way that God designed me. Um, but I, I've done a little bit of long-distance running, and, and, and one of the things they teach you in long-distance running is, is that you have to run your own race. And what do I mean by that? It means that you have to run your race at a pace that is sustainable for you. And they usually measure this in the number of minutes per kilometer. So, for example, if you're going to run a half marathon, which is just over 21 kilometers, if you're going to run that in uh, under two hours, that means your pace has to be five minutes and 41 seconds per kilometer. That's a two-minute, uh, two-hour half marathon. Um, so as you're training for a race, you, you, you're starting to discover what's a good pace for you and what's not a good pace for you. Because here's the thing. On race day, if your pace is too fast, you won't finish the race. You will just get gassed out. You might get injured. You will not get to the finish line if you're running too fast. But if your pace is too slow, then, of course, you're not going to get the time that you want on race day. You're not going to get that, that marker of running a, a half in, in, in two hours or whatever. Uh, So here's the thing. Throughout the race, you're always focused on the finish line. You have to be focused on the finish line because that's your marker for your pace. I got 10 kilometers to go. I got to get this time. If I'm going to do that, then my pace, I'll have to pick up my pace, right? So in running, you are always focused on the finish line. And especially if you're a beginner runner, right? Your first time you're running a half marathon, you just want to finish. I mean, you just want to complete, okay? And so the finish line is all you're thinking about. You just absolutely want to get there. So you have to stay focused on the finish line. And you can't be distracted by by other things, especially other runners. Because here's the thing. You have to run your own race. Other runners are running their own race. And you don't know what pace they're running at. And you don't know if they're a good runner or a bad runner. So some of them might be running too fast, and they're not going to finish the race. Some of them are running too slow. And if you follow them, you're not going to get the pace that you want. You have to discipline yourself as a runner to run your own race, focusing on the finish line. So... The first time I ran a half marathon, I was about 30 years old. Um, and really at that time, I would have been, I wanted to do like a two-hour half, you know, because of my pride and my spirit of competition. Uh, but really, I, I just wanted to finish. I would have been happy just to finish a half marathon. Uh, so I, I set a reasonable pace for myself in this race. But I can remember, I can remember when I was warming up for the race, um, I noticed as I was warming up, because you, you don't just run cold. You've got to warm up your body and, and do a little bit of sprints and all that and get warm. I noticed just off to the side this little old lady 
who was warming up for the race. And, and she would have been like, I think about 65 years old, just a teeny little thing. She had on this old, old, worn out windbreaker from like the 70s and she was wearing like old sweatpants, right? And she was warming up and she was just like kind of shuffling back and forth to, to get warmed up. And I thought to myself, okay, I want to run my own race. I want to focus on the finish line. But if I can just beat the old lady, I'll feel pretty good about myself by the end. Well, the, the race started out pretty good, and I set my pace. I was starting to feel my rhythm, and, and after about the first kilometer, I mean, she was way behind me, and I'm just thinking, like, eat my dust, Grandma, okay? We're doing okay. Uh, so I ran the race, and I kept my pace going pretty good. But, but somewhere around the seven-kilometer mark, I was keeping my pace. I looked over my shoulder, and there was Grandma, and she passed me. You know, and part of me is like, oh, man, no, you don't. Uh-uh. Right? And I, I was going to keep up with her, and I thought to myself, no, if I try and keep up with her, I am not going to finish this race. Run your own race. Focus on the finish line. Just see the finish line that's before you. Well, the good news is, is that somewhere around the 18-kilometer mark, I started to catch up to Grandma again, Okay? And uh, along that way, I, by this point in, in, in the race, I mean, I was so tired. My legs were, I felt like lead. It felt like with every step, I was like stabbing daggers into my quads. So by this point, I'm just like, I don't even care about grandma. At this point, I just want to finish the race. All I was doing was focusing on the finish line. It's like this finish line was just pulling me along. And so I crossed that finish line. And I, after I did, I was just so happy at the end of it. I, I mean, I was happy to have finished, but I was also happy that I beat grandma. Now, truth be told, um, thinking back at it, I think I did see her limping uh, at the end, so I think she actually pulled a calf or something, and that's the only reason why I beat this 65-year-old woman. And, but that's besides the point, okay? Um, how did I finish the race? I finished the race by continually being focused on the finish line. The future pulled me along. So, so this is what it means to strain forward to what lies ahead. We let the future pull us along, which means that we live now, we live now as followers of Jesus, how we will be in our great and future hope. So if it's true that I will fully know Jesus in the future, then that means in the now, I want to begin to live in that way. I want to start pursuing him so that I can become to know him more and more. So if it's true that in the future, in my resurrected body, I'm going to be fully like Christ, then it means in the now, I must live for him now. I must allow him to live in me and to transform me. So we live in the now how we will be then. The future pulls us along. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We are a future-oriented people. So how do we do that practically? Well, can I just suggest a couple things to you from the text this morning uh, as, as we're wrapping up? Here's the first thing I want to suggest is think about it. It's to think about it. You notice what Paul says in verse 15. He says, let those of us who are mature <clears throat> think this way. Did you know that, that what you think about matters? Jesus says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Or as a woman thinks in her heart, so is she. What you choose to think about ultimately dictates who you will become. Your thoughts matter. And, and I think for Paul, when he's sitting there locked in this dungeon, in this little room, it would have been pretty easy for him to just fixate on the problem. He was isolated, he was locked up, he didn't know what lurked outside the door, right? But instead of fixating on the problem, Paul chose, that he wasn't going to dwell on that, okay? Instead, he chose that he was going to dwell on Christ. He was going to dwell on his great and future hope. He was straining towards what was ahead. And the result for him, in the midst of this trial, in this really difficult time, 
was joy. I mean, you read through Philippians. I mean, it's just full of rejoicing, rejoicing, joy, cheer. It's, it's all throughout the book. And it's because of what Paul chose to think about. You know, I also think in these days, for each and every one of us, it's, it can be so easy for us to fixate on the problem. It's not hard to fix on, fixate on the problem. COVID-19 is all across the news. It's everywhere, right? It's in your social media stream. It's, it's in your news. Uh, friends are talking about it. It seems to be what we're all talking about. Our, our culture's in a sheer panic because of it. It's really easy to fixate on the problem. But here's the thing. Is the more you fixate on the problem, the larger the problem becomes. The more you open your mind up to it and, and allow it to happen, you begin just spiraling down into the problem until it grows larger in your eyes, larger in your eyes than God himself. Now, the challenge is you can't just stop thinking about the problem. You, actually, the human brain doesn't work that way. If I told you just now, stop thinking about the number eight, you wouldn't be able to stop thinking about the number eight. Are you thinking about the number eight right now? I bet you are. Stop thinking about the number eight. No, no. Stop thinking about the number eight. Okay, you get it, right? You can't stop thinking about something. Instead, instead of stopping thinking about something, in order to do that, you have to start thinking about something else. So you replace it, you know? So start thinking about the number seven, would you? Yeah. Start thinking about the numbers. Are you thinking about the number seven? See, it works, right? So we need to stop thinking about the problem and start thinking about something else. That's the key. I wonder what it would be like if you start thinking about Christ, what would it be like if you start thinking about your great and future hope? Start filling your mind with truth and the truth of God's word. And, and can I just encourage you, Crosspoint, <clears throat> can, you, can you just stop looking at the news all the time and stop looking at your social media feed all the time? Because, you know, here's the thing, is, and, and I'm, not a, I'm not a Luddite, I, I'm on social media and whatnot, but some people, they just look at social media all the time and they're reading about the newest information about COVID-19. Here's the thing, what are you doing? You're fixating on the problem. Let me encourage you, pick a couple times during the day where you're just going to go and get updates. But for the rest of the day, don't think about it. Instead, think about what's true and what's right and what's good and think about Christ and think about your great and future hope. I'm not saying we should live in denial. We need to be informed. But there's a difference between fixating on a problem and being informed. So think about it. Here's the second thing, <clears throat> other practical way to strain forward. <clears throat> run together. Notice what Paul said to the Philippians. He said, imitate me. And then he said, keep your eyes on those who walk according to our example. <clears throat> so what's Paul saying? He's saying, you need to find other people who are focused on the finish line just as you are. Surround yourselves with these people. And in fact, don't run alone. Learn to run in groups. Run with people who are going to run towards the same finish line with you. So find the people who are going to spur you on, people who are going to encourage you. Listen, in the days ahead, we are going to be experiencing a ton of uh, social isolation. Can I just encourage you, stay connected with people who are running in the same direction. And <clears throat> can I just encourage you to, to kind of take your connectivity up a notch? Um, so don't just post on social media. Don't just text people. I want to encourage you to do this radical thing. Pick up your phone and talk to people. 
Like actually get a voice on the other side of the line. And I know this is weird. I mean, I, I grew up in the day when, you know, when there were only cordless phones. So it's not too weird for me. But if you're a millennial, this might be a little bit strange. What? Somebody's calling me? But I, I got to admit, I had a buddy, a good friend of mine, two or three days ago. He called me to see how I was doing. And it was weird. Like it was a little bit weird having a conversation, two 40-year-old men on the phone talking together. How you doing? I don't know. How you doing? You know, it was a little bit weird. I get that. Okay. But maybe this is a good thing for our culture. Maybe it's a good thing that we're connecting in other ways rather than just by text. Can I just encourage you, uh, run together, pick up the phone, talk to people. And when you talk to them, um, I want you to encourage you to invest in them the truth of God's word. Talk about Jesus. Talk about this great and future hope. Encourage them in the Lord. Don't just encourage them in their feelings, but encourage them in the Lord. And so Crosspoint, <clears throat> let me finish by encouraging you today. I'm, I'm, I'm coughing here, but it's not because I have COVID-19. It's because I have a frog in my throat from talking. Anyway, uh, just in case you're wondering, keep your social distance. Okay, um, <clears throat> Crosspoint, let me, let me encourage you today. In these days of isolation, in these days of cabin fever, of uncertainty, of fear and longing, press on. Keep your eyes on the finish line. Pursue Jesus and do it together run with other people. All right, let, let's pray together. Can we pray? Father, thank you um, for the truth of your word. Thank you that through our union with Christ, we have a great and future hope. And God, would you fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith? Would you fix our eyes on, on, the, on the hope that is in him? God, we want to take our eyes off of what's going on around us in terms of the problem. But help us not take our eyes off of those who need you and those who we can encourage. Help us to do that as well, Lord, in this time. Help us to be the church. Help us to be your hands and your feet and your voice to the world around us. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and your goodness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> hey, Crosspoint, as, as we close, we want to actually make, uh, give this as an opportunity for us to work together interactively to talk to God. Uh, we want to pray together in community, even though we're at different locations. And so I, I wonder if you might consider finding someone, one or two people, where you're at in the space you're at, to lead your group in prayer, to lead your family in prayer. Um, and we're actually going to give you some things to pray about. We're going to give you about three minutes to, to pray together uh, in community as the people of God. We're going to ask you to pray, and it's going to be up on screen, but let me just read what we're going to be praying about. We're going to be praying for protection for frontline workers. There are lots of people out there in the health industry who are, who are on the front lines. We want to pray for them. Uh, we want to pray for the health of those who are afflicted. There are some of you who are sick. It might not even be COVID-19, but you're just feeling not under the weather. We want to pray for courage and hope for the anxious. These are anxious times, and I know some of you are fearful and some of you are anxious. And we want to breathe life into you through Jesus uh, we want to pray for provision for the jobless. I'm hearing stories all the time. People at Crosspoint, friends that I know who uh, are being sent home from work, some of them are, are, are now on EI. We want to pray for them. And finally, we want to pray for the help for the isolated and lonely. There are people who are, are trapped and who are alone who don't have people they can connect with. Um, and maybe you're that person. Maybe you're going to be the answer to the prayer. But we're going to invite uh, you to pray. And uh, we're gonna, I'm going to get a couple of people here uh, who are in the, in the audience to pray. And uh, I invite you to do that, and then I'll close. So it's about three and a half minutes, and we're going to give you this chance to do that. So why don't we do that? Let's pray together. God is near, he's faithful, and he's listening. Let's pray.
couple people to pray out. Well, Crosspoint, thanks for joining with us this morning. Um, we are thinking about you. Uh, we wish that we could be with you or you could be here with us, but we're thankful that we're on this journey together and we can do this together.
Uh, if you have any prayer requests, please let us know online. Uh, if you uh, want to get connected, you know how to do it. It's really easy to do it. I encourage you to get connected with Realm. That's going to be our, our big interface of connecting with each other in community. Just go to our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca, and you can check it out there. We love you guys. God loves you more. God's got this. Uh, our confidence is in him. He's our great and future hope, but he's also very, very involved in the world today. And so we turn to him with confidence uh, today, and we hope you're doing that as well. Love you guys very, very much, and God bless you this week. Let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, and you are called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are. God bless you guys. See you next week, same time, same place, 10 a.m. in your living room. God bless. Have a great day. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton, and you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.